Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week we'll be looking at cartoons based on big movie franchises and actors as we talk The Karate Kid, James Bond Jr and Jackie Chan Adventures. And we'll rank these shows from three down to our favourite ones. We're celebrating one year of yesterday's capers and we'll talk about some of our favourite moments and TV shows we've covered throughout this year. Producer Paul and I are still in different locations but as ever, we're still here to bring you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. So, let's get started. And yes, of course, joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm very good, thanks. One year to the day the first episode was released. That's amazing, isn't it? That's like congratulations. That's a like huge achievement. Like, um, yeah. Good, well, congratulations to you for sticking with me through this. <laughs> uh, man, I'm just glad along, uh, glad to be along for the ride. That's all. Well, yeah, you jumped on after I think episode four. Yeah, yeah. So I've been on for the rest of them. Yeah, we've we've done forty five, and that's not including the specials and the interviews. So yeah, you've been along for about forty odd episodes. See, uh, it, I I don't even feel like it's been that many episodes. To be honest, I feel like it's just gone so fast. <laughs> I know, right? And we're like trundling along to fifty. Yeah. So we've got a a good episode lined up for the fiftieth one. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. that's going to be a. A jam-packed episode. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I just, yeah, and I also wanted to say, look, I don't care if you listen to my podcast for one minute, five minutes, all of it. Thank you so much if you've downloaded and you've listened and you've sent an email, if you sent a tweet, anything. Like, I'm Every time I go on the site and it shows me all the countries that have downloaded it, I had a couple from Sweden for the first time. Really? So, yeah, shout out to the people who are listening to my pod in Sweden. Must have been so, my comments about the uh, Swedish intro to the Moomins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, shout out to the Moomins. Yep, shout out to the Swedish version. Like every, you know, it don't matter where you are in the world. If you've listened to my podcast, whether you're in Ecuador, whether you're in Australia, Canada, the UK, home, you know, home team repping out because there's more downloads in the UK. So home team showing up and showing out. Africa, Asia, yeah, America. You know, they're in, in 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 second place in terms of the downloads. Like Canada's come coming to the fore. Like I just oh man. So if I was to ask you, what was the what, your most favorite show that we've covered? Oh, that is a tough question straight off uh, straight out of the gates there. Um I don't know. I'm gonna come back to you on that one. Come uh, on. I know, I know you liked Home Improvement a lot. Do you know what? I was talking about Home Improvement today. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the shows. Uh, that's, the thing is, there's been quite a few shows that have actually had a lasting impact um, mm. on, you know, on, on what I perceive to be good cartoons and bad cartoons and things like that. Because it's, 
there's been so many that I didn't even know existed, and I'm like, oh my god, that was amazing. Like, yeah. I think the one that I'm always going back to at the moment is the Moomin's theme tune for the Swedish intro. Honestly, um, yeah. The Moomin's With- Moomin's has been like because I didn't like it as a kid. And Me neither. Back, Me neither. I hated the Moomin's as a kid. I thought it was boring. I hated the theme song. I hated every conceivable thing about the movies, but then I, I thought, you know what, we have to cover it because whether or not I liked it, it was hella iconic. Millions of people around the world loved it. It was a cult thing. I watched it and I was like, I really enjoy this. It was really warm. It was I could just sit down, chill out, make a cup of tea. Enjoy the Moomins. Like, that that cartoon, yeah, it, it really struck a chord with me. And another one as well is Family Ness. Oh, for yeah. you, yeah. I, like, I grew up on it. Another one of those shows that I had no idea was even a thing. And then I've, <laughs> probably about a week ago now, I was like, um, I was watching, I just put on Family Ness just in the morning, have a little bit of cartoons on the go for, for the boy. And I was like, he was playing, doing something else. He wasn't even bothered. But I was watching the um, the episode where they get a dog. <laughs> and oh. I, <laughs> and I was loving it. On, yeah, but I, I grew up with the family nest. It was an incredibly iconic cartoon for me growing up. So in that in that respect, and also what kind of struck a chord with me was some of the American sitcoms that we did that I had no idea. So like Good Times. I loved Good Times. Good Times was incredible. Now I know the whole fuss about it. Family Matters as well. Steve Urkel. Did I do that? It yeah, wasn't my favorite, but I, he was. In, now I know why so many people in America are like Urkel, 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 Urkel. I'm like, who the bloody hell's Steve Urkel? Full House as well. I really liked Full House. That was really, really good. Um. I'm actually trying to get an interview with someone from Full House. So uh, that'd be amazing. Fingers crossed there if uh, if that person gets back to me. Um, yeah. Also, Tom Lowe. Remember, I told you guys that maybe he might agree to an interview. Well, he did. He agreed to an interview, and that was so great, so amazing. Y'all got that to look forward to at some point. So. Watch this space for that. It was a really fun chat. We spoke about North and South. We spoke about No Sweat. We spoke about the time he got really, really drunk at an Anton Deck album launch party and got thrown out. <laughs> Talks about American Idol when he auditioned there. He's got his own show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. But yeah, I, I ain't gonna give. I ain't gonna give more away. So. Y'all gonna have to listen to that, but um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Oh, and and for the worst, biker mice from Mars. I don't even know why I brought that up. It's none of my business. Um, I mean, I don't know what's the worst, but still, like, oh, even... I'm sure you could think of stuff that you didn't like that much. I mean, to be honest, there's one a week that I don't like, but like even like even last week, like um. Like North and South, and um, wasn't called North. And no sweat was amazing. Like really enjoyed that. Like it's almost every week we discover something. Like even if I have, I've never heard of the music, but like you know, there's always like one or two 
cartoons or programs I haven't seen before. And the discovery, the, like you know, the journey and the discovery has been incredible. Yes, I mean we've had that with the American shows. Oh, what was it? Is it Static Kid or Static Shock? Yeah, I yeah. love superheroes. Static, yeah. yeah, Static Shock was an excellent cartoon, and I didn't watch that as a kid. I didn't even know it existed. What else? I'll tell you one thing that we haven't done yet, but um, I'd like to do is uh, have you have you seen a, f- a show called Reboot? What is it about? It was like a futuristic thing, and they were called like um, I think the baddie was called Cyborg. I think no, Megabyte was the bad guy. They lived inside this thing, and around the city was a firewall, and it was like. Oh, it's super cool, man. It was like super cheesy. I don't think I heard cool. of that. But um, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll put it on the list. <laughs> It'll be on the uh, the list of considerations. Um, I can't... You know what? I was listening back to the No Sweat episode, and I don't know, maybe I was a little bit too harsh on them. Because I was like, oh, their music wasn't good enough. And, you know, me being all, like, harsh and whatever. I'm Mr. Harsh. And you were really harsh on S Club 7. Was I? Yes, yeah, six music. Get out of it. I stand by what I said. You don't. You don't. You don't see a bunch of year six girls singing "Don't Stop Moving," do you? What was the "Never Give Up" one? That was like I think that was the song. I think that was around, and it was just like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it, but like I said, the oh, problem... you mean bring it all back? Yeah, but the problem is, is the problem is not not that it's bad music because let's face it, it's not really bad music. The problem is, it's ridiculously catchy. <laughs> and you, and as a grown man, you can't really be seen singing to it in your car. Of <laughs> course you can. It's rock up. Of course you can. We're doing all the. Get, all the you moves. know what, fellas? If you're in your car, get your S Club on. Get your get your S Club on. It's all good. Don't worry about what people think. Haters gonna hate. All right. Players gonna play. So you, you guys, go and get your S Club on. But um. I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, apart from, yeah, thank you to everybody. Thank you to for the support as well, especially from friends. You know what? I want to thank people who said this was a bad idea because I've had people tell me this was a bad idea. I want to thank you guys for 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 telling me it's a bad idea. For telling me that somehow I'm gonna run out of stuff to talk about. Man, if I talk about Hanron Barbera, just Hanron Barbera cartoons on its own, we'd still be not even finished the 1950s. That decade on its own. There's about 100 odd cartoons they did. The 60s, I'll take another two, three years to talk about. And that's just one duo that came up with a whole bunch of cartoons. I ain't never gonna run out. And yeah, like I, yeah, like I said, there was. Haters, man. There was haters, negative energy, and I got I got rid of that bull jive, and here I am, one year on, and I've still got so much more to do. There's still so many cartoons and TV shows that we ain't even scratched the surface. I mean, we haven't even done Rugrats. We haven't done The Simpsons. We ain't even done, I don't know, Saved by the Bell. There's so much we ain't done. And There's loads. But that's the best thing as well. There's like so much to discover, so much to just yeah. like revisit. So yeah. And there's many more to come as well. So you you guys just keep keep supporting, keep listening, and yeah, let's 
let's let's jump right into this week and um, as always we're going to do it in chronological order so we're going to start with the karate kid because that came out in of course september 1989 and it's been a minute actually with september it's actually been a minute most of the shows have been april november but yeah september's come back with a vengeance and all three shows today came out in the month of september so uh september 1989 the hungarian government opens up the country's western border to refugees from east germany Vietnam announces that it has withdrawn the last of its troops from the state of Cambodia, ending an 11-year occupation. Archbishop Desmond Tutu leads the biggest anti-apartheid protest march in South Africa. Black Rain was in the cinemas. And Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block was number one in the charts. Well, at least there's not going to be any suspense this week. I haven't heard of the first one. <laughs> Quel surprise! And that's for the French listeners there. Uh, how do you like? How do you like my French? It's amazing. Oh, actually, so, speaking about French, just quickly, I was watching um, a film. I think it's called The Untouchable, something like that. About the, do you know, The Upside by with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Oh yeah. The the French version, the original. I was watching that yesterday. Such a good movie, man. It's all in French and it's just English subtitles, but amazing. Have you seen the Kevin Hart version? Yeah, it's rubbish. Oh, I hate you to can, say you, it. You can add that to the list of another rubbish Kevin Hart film. <laughs> I, I watched was... Night School the other day. I've never seen that movie. It was... Oh, goodness me. I mean, it, the cast was fairly decent, but the 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 storyline was just so basic and and dated and it was yeah i think kevin hart i think think like a man is probably the only good kevin hart film i've not seen that i think some of his stand up yesterday that was quite funny even his stand ups all right i don't think he's like at the level of like a Chappelle or a chris rock or eddie murphy that kind of level but lee evans but yeah anyway let's uh go on to the karate kid so this was a animated series that was based on the Karate Kid series of films and it was produced by Deke Animation. They are a massive animation company who have done so many cartoons that we've probably covered and we're probably going to cover in the in the future. Saban Entertainment and Columbia Pictures Television as well. And it obviously, it's focusing on The Apprentice, Daniel LaRusso, who was voiced by Joey Dedio, and his mentor, Mr. Miyagi, who was voiced by Robert Ito, who thankfully was of uh, Japanese descent. He was a Canadian actor of Japanese descent. So, But obviously, they abandoned the whole karate tournament motif for an adventure quest setting. So the whole kind of story is that a miniature shrine with magic powers is taken from its resting place in Okinawa, which is uh, the hometown of Mr. Miyagi. And it is up to Mr. Miyagi and Daniel to recover it, along with Okinawan girl Takai Tamurai, who was voiced by Janice Kawaii, who I think also was uh, of uh, Japanese descent. And they basically search the globe and they encounter several opportunities to fight their way out of trouble. 
obviously the the episodes follow a similar formula. Mr. Miyagi obtains a lead on the shrine's location in some corner of the world. Daniel and Takai will follow up on it, and they encounter some villains and who have either seek to obtain it or they have it already. And obviously, it, the whole story is that they're so close to getting it, but then they don't, and then it kind of leads on to the next episode, and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, talk about talk about this show. What did you What did you think? I I didn't know they did a uh, an animated version of I the, didn't either. the movie. Um, it one thing I want to say is what were they doing for money? Because they are going all around the world now. I can't afford to get to like Australia right now, and they're like Australia, Japan, New York, everywhere. And uh, it ain't going to be cheap. Well, maybe maybe the bonsai tree business was booming. Mate, oh, that's true. Never thought about that. Because obviously, Miss Miyagi has that gaffer tape. Yeah, um, gaffer tape business, and they're well. worth a lot of money. Really, a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, bonsai trees worth tons of money. Do you not remember in the films? Like Mr. Miyagi was telling Daniel's, like, this is worth a lot of money, son. Like, don't be playing with no bonsai tree, boy. There's only one thing I know about bonsai trees is that sometimes they get slugs as like pests inside them. And one of the ways to get rid of the slugs is to put a little pot of beer next to it uh, because they like the beer, but they can't get out once they get in it. Um, and it draws, draws the pests away from the tree. Um, anyway, back to the um, thing. I thought it was like a, it was, it was a decent enough cartoon. Very exciting. Like obviously like the, the, um, the, the, the familiar characters were 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 a huge draw, I guess, for the for the for the fan base. Um, I and, guess, and it's also like um, it's it's really funny because they have this thing where like basically they go and kick the heads in of these villains, and then they always like shoehorn it in where it's like, yeah, but this is like defensive purposes only. <laughs> but like they're always <laughs> like, they're always like bashing them up. So yeah, as a, as a cartoon, it was like it's a pretty exciting cartoon. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's for me, it started off quite slow, and then it kind of got to a level where I was watching it, I was really enjoying it, it was a lot, a lot of fun, lots of, yeah, like you said, exciting karate scenes, there's always something happening, quite like the theme song. One thing that's really good is Mr. Miyagi's uh, drawing, his cartoon, his character was absolutely spot on. Like, yes. It was like... It's uncanny, like how close it is to the like his actual real face. Um, I just thought that was just worth putting in there. Like, like, like Daniel was like just some like white boy with a bandana on, uh, <laughs> but Mister Miyagi was like, yeah, like you know, he's basically mostly closed eyes and the <laughs> and beard, yeah. his clothing, the hair, everything. Yeah, I just want to say I was so relieved when I saw that Robert Robert Ito was of Japanese descent because I couldn't take another show where it's just some white guy doing some really bad impression. I mean, to, to be honest, in that case, it's actually done pretty well um, in terms of like cultural appropriation because... Even well, he's now, of Japanese descent. Yeah, exactly. But now you've got, even today, like The Simpsons have only just stop doing exactly that. yeah so, and you know and that's back in 1989 
and they're doing it properly there. So, there is no excuse in the world for any cartoons to be slipping up like this. Mm-hmm. No excuse. Because obviously, if you think, oh, maybe back then in 1989, things might have been different. They were doing it in 1980. They were getting people of the country doing it. So you had Mr. Miyagi, a person of Japanese descent, doing the voice. For Taki, uh, the girl, you had someone of that descent doing the voice. There was no excuse whatsoever. So all those cartoons that we've done that had dodgy accents from all around the world there was no excuse for you yeah none agreed not even not even the slightest i'm sorry like you messed up let's um let's let's talk about episodes then i'm guessing we both watched the pilot my brother's keeper yep yeah yeah take it away I can see what you mean about this starting slow because this was not a good pilot, to be honest. Um, yeah. Almost uh, switched off from the whole cartoon. So basically, they're, for some reason, I don't where are they? What country are they in? I, I want to say Cambodia, but I'm not sure if that's true. I thought South America. Okay, somewhere. I've got South America on my notes. Okay, so they're, in, they're, they're going down a river. Um, and this these kind of cuts to these like, tribe people, like big beefy tribe people smashing up this little little tribe person um then then uh daniel comes in and beats him up and then miyagi oh, so he kind of comes in but then miyagi comes in and does these like amazing karate moves because in the in the karate kid movies he's very laid back and very like he doesn't do a lot even when he like when he does it like hit people or whatever he does it in a very laid back way so he kind of uses like minimal energy but still lays people out um and this one is doing backflips he's jumping up trees he's doing flying kicks he's doing everything so i know uh, mr biagi uh, isn't he is so a proper... problem in like in the animation world um so yeah i found that was like a bit like you know you don't want to be <laughs> he's... i know i don't know yeah he's 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 doing amazing but anyway so miyagi gets captured to find the, the temple where this they're looking for this um what's it called the the shrine the shrine yeah um and he knows that these kind of people have got it um and daniel gets stuck in quicksand uh, and he gets saved by the tribe boy person the little little tribe boy um then miyagi goes to the man with the jag on his head the he's got like his jaguar like head headdress yeah yeah thing. yeah and he's a he's like the things, and he's said that he wants to kill the little tribe boy because I think he actually has a right to the throne because he's got the power of the of the shrine. He's c- control the animals and things like this and everything. And that's kind of what they they said that he can be the thing, but he's got to come and challenge me for the lead sort of thing. You know, the whole like um, Wakanda forever kind of beat you up, and now I'm the leader kind of thing. Um, uh, so. So they just so he said that um, Miyagi said I'm gonna to want to kill the he says I'm gonna basically bash you up to the leader and the leader's like right that's it you're gonna you're in for it and ties him up with some alligators and then he's wrestling the alligators <laughs> yeah then he goes into the water and he wrestles the alligator and he wins um, which is just like incredible um, I bet he could do that in real life though well not anymore um, maybe back in the what day do you mean not anymore he died. 
I know. He's not wrestling any other. I'm saying I bet I bet he could, is what oh. I was trying to say. Yeah, back in the day he would have like I didn't say I bet he can right now. Well, yeah, well, he's he's and then he, you go making a, an insensitive joke about um, what's his real name? Pat Morita. Uh, the tribe thugs find him. So hang on a minute. So yeah, so he wins the alligators. Uh, he finds he tracks um, Daniel and the the tribe boy, and he they they're having some dinner. Um, and then the next day, he's kicking trees down with it and, and chopping trees down with his bare hands. Um, which is, I was, I was astounded by this. I was like, oh my God, he's like the hardest bloke in the world. Um, but again, I bet he could do that in real life. Yeah, I bet. But, but the thing is, like, in here, he's probably looks like he's trying a bit harder. In real life, he wouldn't have acted like he was trying hard. He would have just stood there and he'd just be like... <laughs> um, but anyway, so, uh, so the tribe folks find them. Miyagi scares them off because they think he's a ghost because they think he was killed by alligator. Um, and then the tribe guy's a wimp, but he's the rightful leader. Um, I wrote coward boy in my notes <laughs> to describe him. So we're both quite close. Um, uh, and then, so Daniel wants him to be the um, the tribe leader and he wants to train him to be the leader to make him think. And he's kind of like, I'll train him. He's my prodigy now kind of thing. Then the montage sequence, but it's sort of a montage, sort of a training montage, but not that good. And and basically, he go he falls in the water, and he, and then Daniel has a go at him. I want to call it Daniel's son all the time. Um, uh, and then so the tribe boy gives up, gets caught by the tribe men, beats beats him up, and now he's ready to challenge the for the tribal leader. It's really weird, kind of like oh now I'm ready kind of thing. And then Daniel's son tries to fight for him. Um, and the tribe leader gets mad because he, he puts on this like disguise and he says, I'll fight him for you because you're a little bit rubbish. So I'll go in, um, give you a bit of a kick. In. And then the tribe leader gets mad. Um, and then he takes the he takes the shrine. I think he gets hold of the shrine. And then he's the kind of power. Um, and the tribe boy challenges tribe leader by himself. And he kind of tips him in the water the same way he was tipped in the water by Daniel's son. And then he almost gets eaten by alligators and now the tribe boy is the leader and i think the uh, the tribe the what's it thing goes missing goes down the river right um and that's all i've got for that episode i, I didn't write the um thing that to be honest the first episode was not a strong opening for me yeah well i guess it kind of ends with the shrine disappearing off somewhere and they're off to go and chase it again yeah, I think that's kind of like the common theme, isn't it? Um, yeah. The next episode I watched was episode two, so... Okay. I'll watch episode three next. Oh, cool. So you can fill in that gap for me. Um, and again, look at my notes just to show you that it was scribbled on. Um, right, okay. So I think... Was it was, what was his name? Takana, Takanawa? Wasn't, no, what's his name? Who? Tanaka. Okay, this this bloke so this is his mate he's um was in hong kong so this, this episode was based in hong kong and they're looking for the shrine still um and they walk in and this this like thug is bullying the shopkeeper and um miyagi just like bashes him up just said like get out of here do you, you know um and then he, he'll always turn around and be like but don't only use it for defense though even though he's just like he's got like bloody bloodied knuckles and stuff um 
Uh, and then so that they're finding this guy and they they have clues to find this guy. And they said like an underwater river and this and the other. And they go down to the and And then Daniel's like walking around saying he's, he's kind of like obsessed with like finding the answer to the clues, but he's not looking up and looking in the world kind of thing. And he falls down a sewer and that was the underwater river they're looking for. And then they, they ask about a man with knives and he throws a knife to this little sign. He says he's upstairs on the next roof or something. Anyway, so they find this, 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 this guy and he's got like a son and a daughter by adoption and a daughter i think uh, no sorry two sons by adoption and one and one by um one daughter proper daughter um and so basically they they they, they need to find this shrine that's the whole the whole point of the episode obviously and um uh but Daniel is looking for uh, so he he knows that these people are they're kind of like do you know when people say like you got to pay me protection money um and and he's annoyed with it he doesn't like it so it's basically this gang is running this town and he says right let's get everyone together and just have a protest and we don't want you to be here anymore and they, and he rallies some people and he, they they get to a um uh they get to like a a protest but then as soon as the people say what the hell are you doing everyone runs off basically apart from apart from then um uh and then th this guy goes to um uh the guy goes one of the thugs goes to this guy's house and says like you owe me some money he goes i haven't got anything he goes well i have to take this and it was like a two thousand year old heirloom or something like that um uh i think i've jumped ahead of my notes but uh so basically um the shrine has been sold to um uh, a pawn shop um and uh so when when the guy gets his thing to uh the what's it called the his heirloom taken away when it, miyagi basically he goes and gets it back off this off this dragon guy and um when he does he says they find out that the, the, the shrine is in there. Um, and, but in the meanwhile, someone gets kidnapped. So the, the, the Tanaka guy, he gets kidnapped. The, 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 his mate that he went to see in the first place, he gets kidnapped. And the son, one of the adopted sons says, right, that's it. I'm going to get the power of the shrine to, to go and get him back. And everyone says, no, let's go and get Miss, Mr. Miyagi to help us out. He says, no, I'm going straight there. And when he gets there, he kind of flips the script and 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 gets the power, and now the adopted sons are, and sorry, the one of the adopted sons in T Tanaka is now controlled. Sorry, are now controlled by the um by the by the shrine. Um, and then Mister Miyagi comes there, and there's like a big fight, and um, uh, the the, the shrine gets knocked into this water, and then goes down a drain, and and sorry goes down a drain and goes away and then the shrine is like stops powering everything because there's nowhere near anybody and uh that's and then that's gone and i did write down um uh the last notes or excuse me was um um so the thing goes down and then the whole thing was like um so right at the end they throw the they throw the, these pool balls that were just kind of in situ and then he trips over the man who then drops it down the down the drain now the whole thing about the episode was try to win without fighting so it's kind of like use other ways to overcome a situation rather than fighting fighting should be your last chance and even in the beginning it says like don't fight unless you can run which is actually a pretty good tip to be fair um 
Yeah, so that was episode two. And then the homecoming is episode three. So the shrine ends up back in New Jersey, which is where Daniel is from originally. And so they they basically arrive in New York. Taki is all like, oh, my God, I'm in New York. I'm in New York. Let's take some pictures and let's go sightseeing. And then they have a look to see where the shrine could be. And then Daniel's like, hey, look, some of these is New Jersey. This is where I'm from. This is where I live. And maybe we can go see some some of our like hometown friends and, and whatnot. And so and Mr. Miyagi's warning him, look, you've been away for a long time. Things change. People change. So keep your expectations to a minimum. And so they're on the train. And so they bump into two thieves and Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, they stop the thieves from stealing an old lady's purse. Daniel discovers that he knows the girl. So he's like, oh my God, Tina. And so it's basically Tina and Brick. They used to be people that used to grow up with uh, Daniel. And so Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, they're, driving and so he's like i can't believe i saw my friend maybe maybe you're right mr miyagi things have changed and so he talks about the time when him and tina were going on a date at the uh, the local amusement park and some guy called brick just came along and he's like move this is my girl now you need to go away and so brick is like oh why is he back? And and why does he want this list of addresses? And so he's starting to think, oh, maybe this shrine or whatever they're looking for, it might be worth a lot of money because that's what their kind of thing is. Brick and Tina, they want to hustle enough money so that they can get out of New Jersey and live a better life and, and, and whatnot. And so... Yeah, so what they're doing is they're going around New Jersey trying to figure out where it could be. So Brick gets the the shrine somehow because I think Tina plays a trick on Daniel and Brick ends up with it and he realizes that the shrine is powerful and it could be worth a lot of money and he's using the shrine against Daniel because he's thinking, oh, Daniel is scared of me. So I'll use the shrine to play on that fact. So he uses the shrine. There's like three bricks and Daniel has to like fight them all. And so they have like a big old scrap in the in the park. And they see that the shrine is hanging off a, a, a big, a big uh, theme park ride. And Brick's trying to get it. Daniel's trying to get it. Mr. Miyagi and Taki catch up with both of them because they were on the other side of town. And what happens is they try to save the, the shrine. Like Brick, he's obsessed because he basically met the guy who wanted to buy it. And so he was like, look, give me my money. I'll get you the shrine. I'll sort you out. Yeah, so when they're on top of the, the theme park ride, it's like dangling off a balloon. Brick almost falls over trying to catch it, but Daniel saves him. And so they're like, oh, no, the shrine. And Mr. Miyagi's like, look, don't worry about the shrine. We can catch up with it in another city or in another town. The most important thing is that you guys are okay. And, yeah, that's that's how that one ends. 
And then I watched episode five, All the World His Stage. So their chase for the shrine brings them to jolly old England. So they're in London. Basically, Daniel saves somebody from falling over or something. And the London News wants to interview Daniel. I'm not really sure what panel <laughs> that is. The London News. So you got like this lady going, I want to interview you. See, I wasn't mad at the bad British accents. I'm mad at that. Get, you know what? Y'all can do your awful, god-awful English accents, but you guys casted a Japanese person for Mr. Miyagi, so you Pop guys... Yeah, yeah. You guys... I'm, I'm giving you guys graces and credit for, for all of that. And, yeah, Mr. Miyagi's like, look, you're not a hero. Stop fronting. We need to find the shrine. And so they realized that uh, a film studio, Britannia Studio, they bought the shrine to use it as a prop because they're doing a King Arthur film. And it's starring the big movie star Kevin Woods, whoever the hell that's supposed to be. Is he a real person? I don't think so. I just think he was one of those things that they did. Kevin Woods, he was tall, he had blonde hair. Hi, I'm Kevin Woods. I'm a big time actor. <laughs> How do you do? And so they're going to Britannia's studio and Taki, she's like a big, big fan of Kevin Woods. And obviously Kevin is like to, to Daniel, look, is that is that your man? Are you with him? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Daniel's like a brother. And so he's like, really? That's earned you a tour of the studios and a visit to the set. <laughs> she's like, oh, that's great. That's great. And so, yeah, they're having a tour of the studio. Daniel's like, oh, my God, he's not even real or whatever. And so what happens is they have, like, a fake sword fight. And Kevin pretends that he's been hurt. So he's like, oh, I've, I've, I've been stabbed right in me tummy. And, <laughs> and so, and obviously, Taki's like, oh, no, you've hurt him. He's like, oh, I always get used. You're a bunch of amateurs. <laughs> I can do this fake English accent all day. I love it. And so he was like to Daniel, oh, don't worry about it, mate. Maybe you could be the Black Knight. And I didn't like that the Black Knight had so many negative connotations in this. What's mm, wrong with being a Black Knight? But the Black Knight is a baddie, though, isn't it? It's like a, it's just like a historic yeah, but why, thing. Why, why are you called the Black Knight, though? Why are you called the Green Knight? The White Knight, the Black Knight. I'm pretty sure it's because his armor was black. Just, um, just throwing it out. Is there. it though? Is it really? <laughs> uh, you I need to know. open your third eye, man. Uh, it's not because of his black armor. It is way deeper than that, bro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was just doing what you'd do if I said. It. Yeah, you need you need to open up that third eye, producer Paul. Third eye blind. Oh, is that what it means? Third eye blind. I don't know. I don't know. And so what happens is there's the fake sword. Because I think, yeah, Kevin gets into a bit of strife on set. Daniel saves him. And so the producer was like, right, you're going to teach Kevin how to do all the cool stunts because you seem to know what you're doing. And Kevin's like, 
him, this amateur. I don't think so. And so the big director was like, oh, you got an attitude. Maybe you should play the Black Knight. And he's like, yeah, maybe I should. And so what happens is he grabs the the fake sword and inside like the the gimmick box, you had the shrine inside. So when he pulls it out and he's like, yeah, maybe I should be the Black Knight. All of a sudden he goes into full Black Knight mode. He plays the, the Black Knight. And what happens is he wants to feel important. And he wants to feel strong. And so he kind of reflects that within the, the shrine. And so the sword makes him feel powerful and important. And so he's like, in Black Knight mode, he's like, right, I challenge you to a duel at noon at Tower Bridge. You better be there. And we're going to fight for this maiden. So he's grabbing Taki. And she's like, what? I ain't no maiden. You better get off me. And he's like, no. I'm, we're going to fight for your honor and all this stuff. And obviously the shrine is within him and the power of the shrine. And Daniel and Mr. Miyagi are trying to convince him, look, 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 you can't, you need to snap out of this. You're not the Black Knight. You're Kevin Woods. You're just a kid. And once they grab the sword off him and the shrine falls into the Thames and they manage to snap out of all of that, and he's like, okay, I kind of lost my uh, senses a little bit. Forgive me, yo, and, and whatnot. Next episode I watched was The Return of the Shrine. So what I'm guessing is in episode seven, they actually managed to retrieve the shrine. And they managed to take it back to Okinawa, where the shrine was originally from. And we kind of learn more about the history of the shrine, how it came into the possession of... Taki and her family and we kind of learn about the big feud between the Tomura and Ishida families and what happens is I think Ishida's ancestors used to be in control of it but then he loses in a big battle to the Tomura family and so what happens is the Ishida family are like you know what we're going to get this shrine back we're going to avenge our ancestors we're going to bring honor to this family. And so there's this guy called Yoshi and he kind of likes Taki. But they were like, you can't, this can never, ever be. This is um some Capulets and Montague kind of deal. You can't be um, messing with that family. And so he's like, oh, damn, she's cute and everything. And so... He's going to a party and the grandma, grandma Ishida, she's like to Yoshi, right, this is what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to do that. And he's like, you know what? I'm not part of this feud. That's between your families. Centuries ago, I ain't a part of it. I'm going to go with Taki and I'm going to have some fun. So he's going to this big old party and he's like to Taki, right, let's have a dance. She's like, you know what? I'm going to dance with you, but... um. Let's, 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 let's give it a minute. And she's getting a drink. And then some of uh, the Ishida family come along and they're like dancing. And one of them was like to Yoshi, look, look, look. Isn't that your girl dancing with another man? And so he's like, you broke your promise. Oh, right. I'm going to be in full battle mode and, and whatnot. And we're going to take the shrine back. 
And obviously they use the uh, the incantation of be true of heart. Do not deceive me. Break that trust and I will leave thee. And if you say that, the shrine will come to you and the shrine will be yours. And so he was like playing around going, oh, how does that go? How does that go? Be true of heart. Do not deceive me. And she's like, oh, it's break that trust and I will leave thee. And she's like, oh, snap, what did I do? Like, gives gives it away. And she was, and she goes into, like, full battle mode. She's like, you know what? We're going to have this big beef once and for all. So they're having this massive battle at sunrise. The two families are fighting. And then it reaches a point where Yoshi's about to fall into the ocean. But Taki, she realizes, okay, I need to be true of my heart. As as the incantation goes, like I need to be true of my heart. And so she saves Yoshi, and then the shrine falls into the ocean, and they're off battling whatever they need to battle. Did you watch any other episodes other than the finale? Or No, so I started watching the finale, but I got waylaid. So I've only watched the first like five five minutes of it. But it actually looked quite exciting from what I saw. Of it. I guess you can talk about those five minutes. Um, well, I've written five lines for those five minutes. So, um, uh, so uh, was it episode thirteen before I? Episode thirteen, a little world of his own. Yeah. So basically, it starts off and these these bully boys are bullying this boy. I'm not sure if you've seen it before in the episodes, but um, it's kind of a big boy, little boy bully thing going on. Um, and the bully's kind of like chucking his little toy horse he's got, and the bully breaks breaks it, and they're kind of laughing at him. And that's when in comes like Daniel and Mr Miyagi and the girl and uh, Taki, and uh, Daniel kind of steps in and protects the the bullied boy, the little bullied boy. Um, and then um, they kind of the little boy kind of like does a runner, doesn't he? He just says like, "Thanks, but." You know, whatever. And it kind yeah. of does one, right? Yeah. Um, this is I kind no, of no. Like... He no. He tells them, oh, because they're they're like oh, because um, they go to a sh- uh, a shop where Walter, that's his name, Walter Cromwell. He buys the he bought the shrine from this yes. guy, yeah, and so that's yeah. where they get the lead where he where bought he it from is. them, and so he's like, oh, I haven't got it. I I got rid of it ages ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I switched off for five minutes, and then. I turned back and they were in a glass. Ah, so what happens is <laughs> they go to his house. They're like, look, you need to give us the shrine. It's really, really important. We can't have it without it. And they're like, oh, we know why you use it. And he's like, look, I haven't got any friends. I don't know what you're talking about. And so what he does is he shrinks everything. So those are his friends and, the, and he plays with those toys and so he uses the shrine to shrink the the trio. So, yeah, so, and he manages to put Mr. Miyagi and Taki into some kind of bottle, but Daniel evades him. And so Daniel is trying to convince Walter to go to the party to go and talk to Kerry, a girl that he has a crush on. And so he's like, okay, fine. If, and, He's like, if you help me, I'll give you the shrine and I'll unshrink your, um, you and your friends. 
And so he's like, Daniel's like to Walter, look, I'm going to be in your pocket the whole time. Just chill out, relax, play it cool, and everything's going to work out. And so Walter realizes that the shrine can do more than just shrinking because the bullies are just being relentless. And so he's basically doing all the things that the bullies used to do to him. He's going out of control with it. And he's like, right, I'm going to stop these bullies. I'm going to be 10 feet tall. I'm going to drive the the best bike around. And I'm going to do everything in my power to, to stop these jerks from doing all this damage. And so he's causing all these tornadoes and horrible weather. And then what happens is... Mr. Miyagi kind of grabs onto the shrine and they kind of return to their normal state. And the the shrine kind of disappears off. And yeah, so Walter, he's talking to Kerry and he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't think that you would ever talk to someone like me. I, I felt like I had to be someone different for you to to show what I can do and 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 whatnot. And then, yeah, it just kind of ends with the shrine being in a truck somewhere and they're going after that shrine. And that's the end of that. It was all right, wasn't it? I mean, it I feel like right. we should talk about The Karate Kid as a film. Um, Can I say something? Okay, if we're going to talk about Karate Kid, first of all, great film. Amazing cult following, like, brilliant movie, like, to find a generation the jackie chan version is better straight up is better you know what a lot of people say that good because you're not the only one it's not that it's not like a niche opinion or it's not as niche as you think it should be some people go crazy like the thought of like you saying something bad about it because the this movie, The Karate Kid, is like, it's from a different time. Like, you know, like, I think that if if it was the same situation like a few years later, it was still got its head kicked in. Um, if, um, but I think that, listen, the, the movie was great. Like, it, it, like I said, it defined a genera- generation. Like, karate, even in, in its, like, essence was, like, was huge back then. Um and then, yeah, and then it actually gave birth to this Jackie Chan movie. So, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I I like both equally. I I couldn't say one was better than the other. Uh, I see. I'm 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 an absolute huge fan of Jackie Chan. Thanks to my sister. My sister was the one that was watching all the Jackie Chan movies when when I was a kid. Like, um, Who Am I and Jackie Chan's First Strike, and even like the Shanghai Noon movies like anything with jackie chan in it she would bring round like um bring round she'd bring home she'd live with us with her sister but um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so we used to watch these movies and so i've grown to love jackie chan like Mm. everything about him i think is great so um but not only that i think the 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 two i don't know what what year was it 2010 whatever movie it was yeah yeah crikey Um, came out in 2010 yeah so like if anyone's not seen it or is like kind of who's like a bit adverse to seeing it because of the Karate Kid, you know, is it a Karate Kid? Is it? Oh, see it. It see is it. fantastic. I, really I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. It really is. And um, 
yeah like, I, I can't yeah i can't pick i'm i i like them both equally and you know i even like the cry kid with hillary swank her kind of interpretation of it i haven't seen that i've seen i think i've seen that is called the, the next cry kid the third uh, no the, yeah the next yeah. cry kid that's I, with the uh, mr miyagi and hillary swank I have heard of it and I've probably seen bits of it, but I've not sat down and seen it as a movie. I like it. I I like it. But yeah, like with Cry Kid, it's an absolute classic. I can sit down on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and just enjoy it. Like it's it's a really fun film, really fun to watch. Also, Cobra Kai is brilliant. It is outstanding. It is it's it's basically a, a show which follows Daniel and uh, the boy that he fights in the first film. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm just sorry. I just quickly Googled that. I had no idea that was a thing. 2018 as well. You have to watch that. It's f- superb. It's, I is think it, it's on YouTube. Is it the same people? Like, Yeah. So it's, it's, it's basically Daniel, Daniel LaRusso, who's grown up and he's got a wife. He's got two kids. Yeah. And the girl is really into karate. And it's got oh, what's his name? Who's your man in in the first Karate Kid? The the bully guy, Johnny Johnny, Johnny Lawrence Johnny yeah Lawrence. Johnny yeah Cobra Kai, and so he enjoy and he sets up Cobra Kai, and he's teaching like this boy who used to get bullied at school. It's really like you're thinking whose side shall I be on? And Johnny has a son, and that son he's a bit. He's a bit of a, a tool, but he, like Daniel, takes a liking to him and he's teaching him karate. And you got Johnny who's teaching another boy karate. He's like this really sweet, innocent kid and he's teaching him proper karate. And you're thinking, oh, who do I, whom, who am I, I going to be with? Am I going to be with Cobra Kai or am I going to be with Miyagi-Do? And it is, they continue the Karate Kid story brilliantly well so you have to go and watch cobra kai if you love the karate kid if you felt any kind of way about it you have to go and watch cobra kai i think oh, it's it on, it on netflix seasons. oh is it on netflix now i, th- I saw it, it was just yeah, reading they, article being put on netflix yeah they're gonna put it on netflix and they're gonna put the third series on netflix too oh that's awesome it's excellent i cannot recommend cobra kai enough like i said if you felt a certain type of way and another really cool fact about Karate Kid. So in the Karate Kid 2, when they go to Japan, the main soundtrack was uh, Pete Cetera's The Glory of Love. And apparently that song was originally written for Rocky IV. But it got taken by uh, the Karate Kid. I mean, I can't imagine it in Rocky. I mean, it is a great power ballad. If you love your power ballads, I don't suppose you've ever heard of Chicago. This musical? No, Chicago the band. Oh, Chicago are such a great band. If you love your 80s power ballads, You're My Inspiration, that's another big, strong power ballad. Yeah, The Glory of Love, Peace Terror. That is like such a power ballad and the key change as well. But yeah, like I can't imagine that on Rocky. I mean, because the, the, the words are like, I am a man who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero that you're dreaming of. We're going to live forever, knowing together that we did it all for the glory of love. Oh, you actually know the song? Yeah. 
It's not a Rocky. It's not a Rocky soundtrack, though, is it? That's I know. Funny. I think that's why. I think they kind of. I think they kind of had like the, the short list or whatever. And they just thought, you know what? I think they used like. I know they had like um, "Burning Hearts" by Survivor. There's one in the snow. Um, no, that's just like do 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 And they had, I think, "Living in America." James Brown. That's a great song. What other songs? I mean, yeah, I love that soundtrack. Rocky Four is the best. Rocky, don't at me. Don't talk to me about Rocky Three and Clubber Lang and. I think you might be right, actually. I mean, obviously, the bit where Mick dies in Rocky Three is a bit like, oh my god, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And he's like, I love how Clubber Lang's like just still talking smack to him, and he's like, you better get your way, old timer. You better get away from me, fool. But I'll knock you in next week. But then, get away from me, fool. But Apollo Creed gets smashed up in four, so. Mm, I know, I yeah, that is. Yeah, but I can't imagine that song in Rocky Four. Definitely not. And, um, yeah, I mean, Cry Kid was a great movie franchise. I don't blame them necessarily for trying to make a buck with this cartoon. Yeah. Shame they didn't really have a, anything resembling a run. It's like 13 episodes, one and done. And I think it was a stretch to call this cartoon a cry kid, though. I mean, it was like, it was like the, the cry kid was. Why would it not be called cry kid? Because uh, it's not, it, it didn't resemble what the cry kid was about. Like the cry kid was about, obviously, it, 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 it does and it doesn't. So, like, obviously, the cry kid was about, you know, some situation where it arose that he needed to use karate in order to but i think the but, but this one was literally about them just going on adventures it wasn't i think that's true but what what also what this was about was if you think about mr miyagi and danielson and what mr miyagi represents he's more than a karate teacher for daniel he's like a sensei and he's like teaching him about the ways of the world how to behave in certain situations and within the cartoon, yes, they're going on all these adventures all around the world. But what he's teaching him is certain life lessons. Like when the battle, you shouldn't fight the battle when you don't need to fight it. It's done with. Or whether it's like with um, when they're in London, he's basically teaching him, look, you being a hero isn't you talking to the news and they're making a big deal. It's about you doing the right thing at the right time and knowing when to do it and things of that nature. And those are kind of the lessons that they're learning throughout the show. Yeah, agreed. Um, I just think it's a little bit shoehorned. That's all. I think there's I think I think it was just one of those kind of lunchbox deals kind of thing, you know. Um, slap it on the front of a lunchbox and have more yeah. more more money. That's, that's, Merch that's money. That's the kind of impression I got. I I feel like it wasn't necessarily um, a like a you know a karate kid. Yeah, I guess. Thing. I guess. If it, I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking. Yeah, that's all right. No worries. No worries. We now go on to James Bond Junior. And this show came out in September 1991 again. And uh, some of the things happening in the world, even though probably y'all know this already. Probably a coup. I think it was a coup in 91. Sverdlovsk's name is restored to its pre-communist era name, Yekaterinburg. 
And two days later, Leningrad is renamed St. Petersburg. Oatsy the Iceman is found in the Alps. And the Huntington Library makes the Dead Sea Scrolls available for the public for the very first time. But y'all already knew that. And you know what? I'm going to go get those damn scrolls. Shoot. And the Fisher King was in the cinemas. Oh, the Fisher King. I need to see this film. And I Want to Be Adored by the Stone Roses was in the charts. Two out of three. Oh, so you know this. No, I've probably heard of it. You've got to know the Stone Roses. Yeah, of course. I know who the Stone Roses are, but I'm not sure if I've... I I... I mean, I'm, I'm a Manchester United fan, so being a fan of the Stone Roses is like second nature to me. Yeah. Like I... But you know what? Like that album that they released... I think it's as good as anything you're ever going to hear in terms of British music for me. I think the Stone Roses are otherworldly. Like they are like almost Beatles level good, in my opinion. I, they are such a good band. Obviously, yeah, like I said, I'm a Man United fan, so I've got a little bit of bias in that in that sense. Because obviously, I think Oasis was for Manchester City fans, and Stone Roses was United. And if they ever was to have a to and fro with music, Stone Roses would absolutely walk all over Oasis. They can shove their blue moon up their backsides as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, like I think you definitely know this. You have to know the Stone Roses. You have to know I Want to Be Adored. It's like their biggest song. I probably do know it. Like, I do know a lot of Stone Roses tracks but the problem is just what you when you put a track name out there and i all i i listen to the radio when i'm in the car and whatever and i listen to music but i don't necessarily go and find the music to download yeah like other ones like they had waterfall what else did they have this is the one made of stone made of stone one love bye bye bad man i love that's probably my favorite bye bye bad man um one love i think that was their new one because they came back and I think they released the song Sally Cinnamon. Oh, such a beautiful song. She Bangs the Drums. That's another good one of theirs. Fool's Gold. Obviously, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came at the club, he had um, the song like After Waterfall. So it'd be Ole's at the wheel. Tell me how good does it feel? We got Sanchez, Paul Pogba and Fred. Marcus Rashford is mank born and bred. Greatest of English football. We want it all. One, two, three, four. Ole's at the wheel. Tell me how good does it feel. Oh, it's beautiful. Stone Roses and Man United. There ain't a better duo. So now we're going on to Bond. James Bond Jr. <laughs> so yeah, so this is a character that is described as the nephew of Ian Fleming's James Bond. The name was first used in a 1967 spin-off novel, The Adventures of James Bond Jr., 003 and a half. Author and the author was the never clarified pseudonym RD Mascot. And the idea was used again in 1991 in an animated TV series. The series was mildly successful, spawning a six-volume novelization series by John Peel and a comic book series by Marvel Comics, which was published in 1992. 
and video games for Nintendo and Super Nintendo. The animated series was produced by Morokami Wolf Swenson and MGM Television and James Bond Jr. was voiced by Corey Burton and the setting is a prep school called Warfield Academy and he goes to school with his friends IQ who is the grandson of Q and Gordo Lita who is the son of Felix Lita and they are fighting against the evil terrorist organization SCUM, which stands for Saboteurs and Criminals United in Mayhem. Absolutely love that gimmick. Love that gimmick. And yeah, so he also expands on his uncle's famous line, Bond, James Bond, Jr. And he the, the, the TV cartoon regularly surpasses the Bond movies, in terms of the fantastical gadgets, but the violence obviously is nowhere near that you see in the in the in the in the cartoons. And the show was fully sanctioned and produced in association with Dan Jack and United Artists, and they hold the rights to the James Bond property. Some of the other recurring things about the cartoon, so you had Jaws, who was a recurring villain. In the Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, Goldfinger, Nick Knack, who was a villain from The Man in the Golden Gun, and he forms a duo with Jaws. Uric Goldfinger appears alongside his assistant Odd Job, and they're from the Goldfinger film. And it is revealed that Goldfinger has a teenage daughter called Goldie Finger who has equally (laughs) expensive tastes and several episode titles are parodies of James Bond movie titles. So you had live and let's dance and you had rubies aren't forever, which I, I loved, love it. And some of the characters in James Bond jr. So obviously, yeah, you've got James Bond jr. And yeah, he's, he goes to the Warfield Academy and has friends, aid in his missions. Horace Boy- Horace Boothroyd III, or IQ, and like I said, he's the grandson of the 007's gadget inventor Q, and he's a scientific genius and one of James's best friends. He's quick-witted and highly logical, and he is responsible for developing and building the gadgets. Tracy Milbanks, And she's a bossy and quick-tempered girl who regularly accompanies James on his missions. And you got Gordon Later, or Gordo, who's the tanned, blonde, athletic, strong fist of the group. He's very Californian, and he's all like, hey, dude, surf's up. And then there's Phoebe Farragut, who's Tracy's best friend. And she's uh, the daughter of a rich businessman. She's got uh, a crush on James, but the feelings are never reciprocated, which basically means that she's filling the niche Miss Moneypenny. So she's the Miss, she is the Miss Moneypenny of James Bond Jr. You've got Trevor Noseworthy the fourth. He comes from a wealthy family and has an inflated sense of superiority and self-importance. He's arrogant, egocentric, and spiteful. Bradford Millibanks, 
he is the Warfield Academy headmaster, and his daughter is Tracy. You got Burton Mitchell, or Buddy, and he's a former FBI agent and associate of 007. He's the gym teacher of the Academy. He's strong and he's intelligent, and he knows more about James Bond's activity than he lets on. And you've got Scumlord, who is the mysterious leader of Scum, but he's never seen outside of the shadows. Some of the uh, the, the evil characters, so you've got Dr. Derange, who's an evil scientist with long black hair with a French accent, and he has an insane passion for all kinds of radioactive materials, mainly plutonium. Skullcap, who's a top-ranking scum assassin. Dr. No, who is one of Doc- 007's most fiendish opponents. Baron Von Skarkin, or Baron Von Skarin, and he's the wealthy Bavarian Baron who is also an international terrorist and firearm smuggler. Some of the Bond girls include Marcy Bucou, who is a French spy who encounters James Bond Amazing. Jr. on a hovercraft. I love that. And then you got Sergeant Victoria Province, who is a Mountie who James befriends in Canada. There was another name that I encountered in James Bond that was just amazing. And it is Walker D. Plank. Walker D. Plank. He was another one of the villains in in James Bond. Right, let's let's talk about this uh, show. You start because I'm just gonna go all giddy eyed and right. So I'm gonna have to come out the gates and and like put this into context. I do not like James Bond. I can't stand James Bond. I everything about James Bond franchise it drives me out the wall. So I haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig movies. I've seen. Pierce Brosnan ones, there's some ones from uh, so many older ones. I'm not sure even who they were, like Roger Moore or um, Sean Connery or whoever it was. Anyway, um, so I'm coming into the, this with like kind of a negative cloud over it. If you see what I mean, was the Milbank? I thought I was a bit smart because I thought, oh, Milbanks, MI5, you know, it's in Milbank and things like this. And then I realised that actually it's supposed to be an MI6, not. MI5, so that was kind of blown out the window. Um, so, yeah, James Bond. It was. It's this. This cartoon is like a. It's. It's very like James. One thing I noticed: what Ian Fleming wasn't 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 referenced anywhere on it. I would have thought he'd at least get. A I don't credit. think he wrote James Bond Junior though. No, but obviously, like the the whole name James Bond and things like that, and the premise. You'd have thought he got a little a little reference somewhere. I know, but. I don't know. Yeah, it was one of those where I think the the spin-off novel, that's where James Bond Jr. came from. Yeah. And it was written, unless he is the pseudonym R.D. Mascot, then it's all R.D. Mascot. Yeah. I didn't know you. Uh, anyway, yeah. It's... I tell you what, right? We spoke about this before we were recording. Spoiler alert, my number one is James Bond Jr., I this is my favorite cartoon growing up, hands down. I loved James Bond Jr. as a kid. I absolutely was obsessed with this. I used to watch this whenever it used to come on in the the summer holidays. I must have been what five. So this is probably like one of the earlier earlier cartoons that I really really got into. I loved the theme song. I loved the whole idea of James Bond Jr. Being this really cool rad guy, 
I loved how he used to talk, how he used to always save the day, how he would use all of these technology technological inventions. I love how he would invade scum week after week. Yes, we meet again, young Bond. You will not escape me, young Bond. And somehow he will escape them by using one of the cool inventions of IQ. And saying all of that, like you, I just couldn't vibe with James Bond the films. You would think, right? Me as a kid, I would I love James Bond Jr. So that would obviously naturally transfer onto his uncle 007. But yeah, like I I I've got friends of mine who love James Bond. And they will talk about the films till they're blue in the face. They would say who their favorite Bond was. They would say what their favorite Bond song is. I mean, there are a few cracking James Bond songs, though. Don't get me wrong. I I do like Nobody Does It Better. Scout for Girls. (laughs) Well, that's not a James Bond song. It's just he wanted to be James Bond so that he could get the girls and whatever the song goes. It's a great song, though, to be fair. It's so catchy. Mm, It's it's alright. But um, what else? The Living Daylights by Aha. That is an underrated James Bond song. Oh, Skyfall. Yeah, I liked the Adele one. You know, that's that's probably the only James Bond film that I watched was Skyfall. And when I told my friends, oh, hey, man, I, I watched Skyfall. And they're like, Skyfall is like for people who don't like James Bond, who would watch it for the first time and they would love it. So I was like, all right, fair enough. Y'all can have your gold finger. He's the man. <laughs> yeah, right, that's that's another one. That just oh, reminds Tina me of Turner Alan Partridge. <laughs> when he's walking on the side of the motorway. Oh, Gold finger. finger. Oh. <laughs> oh, but no, like, yeah, like, I like that. But yeah, like, I just couldn't rock with James Bond. I just couldn't. For whatever reason. But this, this cartoon... What I will say is that I did find some of the scripting to be very, a bit cringe. And it would just be like really lame jokes. Like, um, I remember, I think in the first episode, they get like some kind of egg thing tipped over them. And then James Bond Jr. is like, oh, well, the yolk's on us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Which I thought was lame. But obviously, as a kid, I was like, oh, that is so funny. Oh, you guys. <laughs> the joke's on us. The joke's on you. <laughs> you bunch of jokers, you. And it was just other things as well. Like, um, if they are, I don't know, on a, on a plane somewhere and there's, and it's, and it's exploding and it's on fire, they'll say something like, oh, well, I guess the heat is on. And it would just be that those really basic setups for like really basic scripting. And I I just found that to be really, really lame. But it ne- it didn't necessarily take away my uh, enjoyment of it. I w- watched these shows and I felt exactly the same way I felt when I was five years old. Yeah, see, I came into this with like, oh god it's james bond everything about james bond is rubbish everything's rubbish the whole world's rubbish don't want to watch it and then like a couple of episodes in i was like this is actually all right you know yeah um, so i i i 100 warmed up to 
this as its own show is its own obviously yeah you've, you've got the things like you know iq q and uh, i'm sure there's 100 million other references and stuff like that and obviously the baddies and whatever but i was able to look through that just a little bit to 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 consume the show as its own thing because that's one thing i i kind of like pulled myself up a little bit because i, d- I didn't want to i didn't want to just judge this on the merits of its you know of its um of his uncle yeah uh, so I, I gave it its own shot and do you know what i actually fairly enjoyed it it's quite funny yeah i thought it was fun like i said i love the james bond reference parodies rubies aren't forever live and let's yeah. dance marcy buku is a brilliant name i just yeah i loved it i was when i was doing my notes and i was like no way that is her name Marcy Buku and then Walker D. Plank. Outstanding. Outstanding. And again, they weren't necessarily English, the actors, so I didn't really care about terrible English accents and whatnot. Again, I wasn't necessarily mad at that, so Yeah, this seems like like a, another one of those things, just like slap it on a lunchbox, give me some money, the kids will love it kind of thing. Well, not well. Clearly, they didn't because number one, you never heard of it, and two, this was again, it was really obscure. I mean, okay, they had like sixty odd episodes, but that was kind of it. Like they just had the run, and there you go. Yeah, one and done. Um, yeah, just throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. So yeah, that was um, that was that. And so, shall we talk about episodes we watched? The beginning makes sense, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I like how they start, boom, out the gate. He's flying, fighting scum. Aston Martin. DB5. Um, so this is like, straight away, I was like, not onto a winner here. Like, really? Yeah, Why? Yeah, because of too much James Bondy. It like, doesn't matter. Just, like I said, judge it on James Bond Jr. Don't worry yeah. about 007. This is his what, nephew. This is yeah, a completely but that's what I have different... To do. I had to pull myself up on this because it was like... You need to stop doing this. You do it with Hanna-Barbera cartoons as well. Leave those Hanna-Barbera cartoons alone. And it don't matter. Let them. It's their company. (laughs) I don't care if I see Officer Dibble in The Flintstones or Tom and Jerry. This is James Bond Jr. If he's driving an Aston Martin, let him drive it. If he's um, having a... what, What does James Bond drink? Shaken, not stirred. Dirty martini, isn't it? Martini, yeah. I'll have it shaken, not stirred. Don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about James Bond. Because it starts really exciting. It starts with him chasing off... It might have actually been the scum lord. And he's like, So long, young Bond. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, he, but he was on his way to school. That was just like his daily school run, wasn't it? He, like, oh, no, he was, like, it was his first day, wasn't it? Yeah, he rocks up at school and he's like, I can't be doing this every day. <laughs> Can you imagine if that's your bus journey in? Well, no, they were like, he does do it every day, but they're like, look, now that you go to Warfield Academy, you need to straighten up and fly right. And yeah, they put him on lockdown because they're like, yeah, you can't be traipsing in and out of the school like it's some kind of hotel. Carry on. And then, so his friends, um, um, so his friend IQ, he shares a room with him. He, does he, share, he shares a room with him, right? Yeah. 
yeah um and he's like coming up with all these little cool gadgets things and um i've forgotten the gadgets he has in this one though yeah i can't remember um probably did no so uh, so actually i've written not enough notes for this episode so um the head teacher and the daughter's called millbank uh and the baddies what so okay so the baddies want the car the the cars inside it has got a, an electronic electromagnetic pulse emitter right and that, and they want to take down the world and use their whatever uh, so they steal it and when, but when so they go out on a drive because they i think they lure them out of the school grounds by saying there's a parcel at the post office which is like the most english thing you can do <laughs> just stick a little red red little ticket through the door sorry we've missed you um so yeah so that was um yeah, they lured them outside and then they steal the car. But inside the car is the girl. What's the girl's name again? Millbank. I forgot. Tracy, isn't it? Tracy Millbank was inside the car. So they all kind of chase it and then they get to this kind of airfield. And then the, they, they, he uses his watch to do something. I think he manages to get onto the plane and end up driving it. And yeah, and then I don't know how they got down, but they got in the plane somehow. Um, and then they and they they get they they get the car back. But the thing is, one thing one thing I will say about this just very quickly is that I, you know, like you said, like at the beginning, he's like, oh, here's a gadget for this, here's a gadget for that. I, I couldn't figure out what he was going to do with the gadgets, which is because he they always do some obscure thing with the gadget, like, <laughs> like they have something and then they take out this little part and do something completely different that like you weren't expecting. So that was quite fun, I guess. Um, anyway, they get the car back. And they kind of live happily ever after, right? Whoa! You kind of jumped quite a bit. So I think what what I've got on my notes is that scum want to take over the world and they want to do it by, I think, holding all the database to paralyze England's defense. And in order to get out, Tracy tells them that there's a secret passageway in the headmaster's office that not even the headmaster himself knows about. Is Jaws. He's the one that takes Tracy and the car. I wrote down Yakola, which is, I think, something that the surfer dude says. What's his name? He looks like He-Man, doesn't he? Don't you think? <laughs> Gordo. He's like, Yakola, dude! Surf's up! Cowabunga! I just thought, oh my god, it's just such a cliched, stereotypical... And obviously, Noseworthy is trying to like grass up James Bond. He's like, "Oh, they've left the school. They've done this and that. They're all in your office and and what have you." And um, yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, so there's um something happens within the confines of wherever they are, and yeah, it kind of obviously ends with James saving Tracy from the jam. He manages to yeah stop scum from taking over England's defense and he manages to get back into his dorm room in time before Bradford Millbank's headmaster and obviously I like I like that how um buddy is like oh I I know your uncle we used to work together and and whatnot and he kind of knows about what James Bond does so he's always kind of encouraging them and he's like a mentor so i did kind of like that whole dynamic 
What's the next episode you watched? Um, so I think I went on to the next episode, which I don't remember the name of. Oh, no, it's called 20... Oh, hang on. I'm not sure what episode it was. It's Cruise to Oblivion. <clears throat> I'm not sure where it falls in the thing, but um, the first note I wrote I wrote on it was Tom Cruise did a film called Oblivion. I thought it was going to be some kind of like Tom Cruise thing because of like Mission Impossible and whatever, but turns out not so much. I think um, you can kind of go ahead and talk about your episodes. Obviously, I watched the finale, so... I, I, I watched three episodes in total, and this was one of them. So this one was um, about... Uh, it starts off, again, very dramatic, like a jet fighter's um, sees a shadow in the sea, um, and then this shadow like launches a missile and like downs his jet. And when he ejects into the sea, he kind of gets swallowed into this. There's like a submarine under the sea. That's what shot him down. Then it cuts to like James Bond, uh, James Bond Junior's school. That was kind of like the, the, the like kind of like preface of the whole thing. And IQ gives him a fishing rod with uh, something in it. Can't remember what the fishing rod had in it. And and the, the uh, camera film. Uh, which had like it was like had magnesium or something in it, so it could shoot underwater and was in and low light. And then it comes to like the baddies, and basically they um uh they they're on a cruise. The goodies are on a cruise. They're just cruising like in the sea, and the baddies are like um they're they're in a submarine and they found a shipwreck and it's full of gold and they can't figure out how to get the go- raise the gold because the gold is too heavy. So they're like, oh, I know who would be able to figure it out, and it's an IQ geezer from across the road. So they they um. They 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 kidnap him, and then they say, um, "If you help, if you don't help us, we're going to sink your ship." Um, and he says, "Okay." So they give, so he gives them an idea about levers and things, this and that and the other. And and then they said, "Oh, we need something heavy." Oh, well, I know it's heavy. Your ship. So let's sink that, and then that will raise our ship. So they're going to sink it anyway. Um, turns out the cruise director. Of the crew, so basically James Bond Junior chirps as much as his uncle, and he was kind of just chirps in this this girl, uh, and it turns out she's a CIA operative uh, undercover. Uh, so they go and rescue IQ to stop the baddies, and <clears throat> they use the fishing rod. To, I had a magnet on the end of it, and they're shooting torpedoes at the boat, and they use the the magnet on the end of the fishing rod to bring the torpedoes away. Uh, and then the U.S. Navy come, and so uh, Odd Job and Goldfinger escape in a torpedo. Got a job to do while he rescues the girl. I don't know why I wrote that. Um, yeah, one thing I did know is that it was like very like he's got to rescue the girl. It's always the re- rescue the girl thing was quite a big part of this. Um, he's got a job to do while he rescues the girl. Oh, it was on the music. I heard it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, look out! He's coming through. He's got a job to do while he rescues the girl. James Bond Junior chases girl. Junior chases girl around the world. It's such a bop. I love that theme so song. Bad. It's not bad at all. It's such a it's a great theme song. Hmm. Nothing can stop him, but scum always try. Young Bond cuts through each web of ray, web of. Ray, he learned the game from his uncle James. Now we there to remain. But no, the theme song's a bop. I all of the theme tunes this week weren't like weren't. I liked Karate Kid's theme song. To be fair, it was one of those ones that like, kind of went on for a little while. To be honest, 
Yeah, right. it did. I did. I did fast forward all of them, even James <laughs> Bond Junior. <laughs> yeah, I was I like, okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't heard it because I watched about six episodes. So yeah, um, the next episode I watched was called uh, Thor's Thunder. That's the finale. Oh, okay. So we can save that for later. Okay, so I watched. I watched the Eiffel Missile, which was episode nine. So. They're having this massive starts off again with a massive fight scene with Skullcap on a plane. And he's having this big old fight. They're like moving out of the airplane and what have you. And he's like, I've got you this time, young Bond. And being the typical villain. And he manages to escape and he lands on the big soccer field where they're doing soccer practice even though James Bond is English and it's meant to be football practice, soccer practice. And uh, what else? So, yeah, what happens in this one is, yeah, so they they were meant to be going on a field trip to France, but the headmaster's like, you know what? There's a big old terrorist thing going on. We can't go to France right now. Forget about it. And so... He's like, oh, I know why. It's because scum, they want to uh, put a missile in the Eiffel Tower. So what ha- Yeah, Dr. Derange, he wants to blast a nuclear weapon from the Eiffel Tower so that everyone will blame France and it will help his home country of Russia. And yeah, so what happens is they're trying to figure out a way that they can go to France without nobody knowing. And I like how James, he like knocks over Phoebe and he's like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, Phoebe. I never saw you. And she's like, yeah, you never see me, do you, James? It's like, oh, oh, yeah, she's the Miss Moneypenny of the series. And so obviously they can't go by plane because James is banned. So they go on a hovercraft and this is where he meets Marcy Buku. And they don't trust, yeah, they don't trust her. They're like, yeah, we we don't really trust this Marcy girl. We don't really know what her game is. You need to be really, really careful about her. And obviously she's a spy herself. So she's like, look, I've got 007 on the plane with me. And so they go to France and and he's basically taking her out for dinner. And they're all like, you know, why are you going out to dinner with her? We need to try and find this bomb or whatever. He's like, you know what? Look, we're going to look for the bomb and we're going to have a nice bit of dinner. And he works out at the dinner. He's like, look, there's something about you. How do you know who I am? And you're not, you're not who you say you are. She's like, okay, I'm a spy. We're trying to stop scum from blasting the nuclear weapon. And so they realize that they're blasting the nuclear weapon from uh, the Eiffel Tower. And so they get to the Eiffel Tower in time to prevent the bomb not hitting Russia, but just going veering off course. And yeah, they managed to save the day. I like how I think there was a scene where they're like, oh, James, you look rather shaken and stirred, don't you? <laughs> Episode 23, Live and Let's Dance. Live and Let's Dance. Dun, 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 dun. 
That's another cracking James Bond song, isn't it? Live and Let Die. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all right. Is that who sings that? Paul McCartney, in it? No. I'm sure Live and Let Die is Paul McCartney. Guns and Roses. Yeah, they probably did a cover. Paul McCartney. Yeah, 1973. That's Live like... and Let Die. I'm thinking of the Guns and Roses version. That's the that's the version I know. This is like that's that's, that's a tragedy. It's Paul McCartney. That's the. I mean, it's of, a tragedy. It's kind of like destroyed. <laughs> It is what it is. All right, Paul McCartney is one of the greatest songwriters this country's ever produced. What do you want? For Guns N' Roses to have written it? Well, Guns N' Roses didn't. They obviously covered it and probably did a version of it. So every time Guns N' Roses perform it, Paul McCartney's price goes up. So, yeah, okay. So in this episode of Live and Let's Dance, so there's a dancer called Pavel Popchek. And he gets poisoned by an assassin who works for, I believe, Baron von Skerin. And so what they want to do is they want to assassinate some king. And so he's dancing with someone called Marie Plie. And she kind of realizes, okay, there's something not right with this Pabble guy. And so IQ, he, he even figures out, he's like, yeah, there's something not quite right with this guy. Like and and he manages to work out on his amazing computer that the autograph that Pavel Pavel Popchek signs I think he's right-handed, but the assassin sent by Baron von Skeren is left-handed. Apparently, he can work that out on his amazing magical computer. He realizes that they don't dance the same, and so Marie Plie is like going back with them to Warfield. But she's like, look, I've got to go back to Switzerland so that I can save the royal family and whatnot. And so James is like, right, I need to make up an excuse so we can leave the school. And Tracy's like, yeah, yeah, my dad, he'll definitely allow it. Cut scene to the dad going, absolutely not. I will not allow it. And they're like, oh, there's a, a tennis tournament in Switzerland. We can we're 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 going to that so we can compete. And so he's like, okay, if it's a tennis tournament, no worries. And Noseworthy's basically going to the headmaster going, yeah, they're making it up, they're they're lying to you. And so Tracy calls going, Oh hey dad, we're in Switzerland, we've arrived safely, we're gonna be at this tournament. See you later. And so he's like, She called me, right? Done. So I think this episode kind of cut abruptly but what i kind of guess is that they realize okay this is a, a fake and i think the assassin tries to kill marie but james bond stops them and so he's like look i had her i don't know what happened and the baron is like yes it is that meddling young bond i must stop him and so yeah they're going on one of those cable cart thingies and so he's like, okay. And the assassin just basically pushes them both. And he's like, oh, I killed young Bond and I didn't even have to fire a bullet. And I think um, IQ catches them on the cable. They go back and they somehow manage to save the day. And yeah, it kind of ended somewhat abruptly. And then I watched the penultimate episode called Northern Lights. So they're in Toronto because they are 
part of a uh, cleanup project. And they're unaware that Baron Von Skeren again is him again. And so he's trying to steal all the electricity. Apparently, you can see Aurora Borealis from Canada, which I didn't know about. You can see it from Scotland. Iceland is definitely one of them that you can see it. Finland, obviously. I, 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 when I was in Iceland for like a hot minute in 2018, I tried. But because I think I arrived at the airport at midnight Iceland time. So I was literally stuck in the airport until morning. I couldn't really get up at the airport, even if I wanted to. And it looked absolutely remote AF. So I thought I ain't going to go out there until... <laughs> Some kind of civilization is out there. And even during the day, like it was hardly anybody walking in the town center. I thought, let me go check out downtown. Downtown Keflavik. There was hardly anybody there. It was just some lady and her dog. She's like to me, hello. And I'm like, hello. You're not from around here, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, let me just take my behind back to the airport. Before they, before they put me on a milk carton. <laughs> have you seen this boy he's been missing yeah so they arrive in toronto clean up project and yeah so they like i said they're trying to use the um aurora borealis to take all the power and light and hold it to ransom to the tune of one billion pounds which i thought is that it for the entire electricity you're only going to want one billion yeah, you're you're need to be saying trillions. Different worlds. It's worth then. way more than one billion, yeah. And so they get help from the Mounties, because the Mounties are like, right, we're gonna try and help you, we're gonna try and um, figure this out. And one of them, Sergeant Victoria Province, she's one of the ones who helps them. Yeah, they managed to stop scum from stealing all the of the electricity and they managed to save the day. And then now we come to the final episode, Thor's Thunder. So this was like this was quite a good episode to be honest. Um um so so some civvy people are trying to find this like medallion. I, where is it? It's based in some Scandinavian Thor's country. Thor's hammer. Yeah. I'm guessing Norway. Norway, yeah. So I don't know why I, Norway. I I'm guessing Norway. I think I heard Or Norway. Denmark, right? I heard Norway. Where are the Vikings from? The North. <laughs> Scandinavia. Do you did you sing a song in school about the Vikings? Uh, row, row, we are the Vikings. Row, row, we are the people of the North. I mean, I I was like Anglo-Saxon country, so we we don't like the Vikings that much. Of course, we don't like the Vikings, but what I'm saying is that in school. When we used to have like those music classes in year three or year four, we'd have like this rundown cassette tape and it'd have corny as hell songs like Row, We Are the Vikings and Star Catcher, He's a Magical Man. Now we've just got to play with the Glockenspiel. Well, we used to call it the xylophone. No, yeah, the Vikings, that's where they're from. Yeah, so basically, this is Viking country and they're looking for this like medallion that has like a it's like a map it has like a directions for where thor's hammer is they're looking for thor's hammer is the main point um um baddies find them straight away the baddies get the medallion and shoot 
at the civvies and they kind of make a full Dennis Cliff thing. Um, IQ's made auto skis and the what well, I don't know what they're called, but the skier pusher pusher things. I don't know. I'm black. I don't do skiing. <laughs> You'll never find me doing any of that. Um, That's for you white folks skiing. Um, but yeah, the ski ski pusher, ski pushers. I'm I don't that. know. And he's made um he's made a Morse code torch that kind of does auto Morse code and uh, a rocket launcher that is actually a pencil case. So instead of shooting, shoots pencil shaped rockets out. And he made a robot of himself so that. Uh, what's the nosy geezer's um, <laughs> nosy geezer noseworthy noseworthy he's uh, he thinks that he's him in the in god that is just such a, a typical like English name Wendell Bomb noseworthy <laughs> um, come along now noseworthy and uh, what was the name of the villain of this episode uh, Skullcap no and Shooties and Legs, walk, walk, walk to plank, walk you to plank. <laughs> there you go. We were literally talking about it two seconds ago. Yeah, but you know me with names and stuff. Um, no, but if I've said the name, walk you to plank. That's what I said. Um, walk a D plank. Um, so this one is um, yeah. So looking for Thor's hammer, which is buried in a Viking town in the north. This is what my note says. And Bond sees a woman on an iceberg and he rescues her. And she's one of the people to get shot earlier. And they use... An I didn't in- write her name, though. No, I didn't write. I just put... She, I, she's one of the shooties, I put. What's a shootie? As in, like, uh, when you're, like, a employee, you're a shootie. You get shot. That's, that's, that's my... Um, is that a real thing, or do you I, just make that up? I, I, no, I made it up. I just think it's... um. That's how I was referenced her. She's the one instead of Ryan, she got shot. Um they use an infrared they use an infrared for finding something. Oh, for the they use a little infrared thing to um uh I think it's in the torch for finding the direction. It's really stupid this bit because they're like, Oh, don't worry, there's an imprint of it over here. I'm just gonna press this button and now I know what it's supposed to be. <laughs> and I was a bit like that's that's daft, man. Like that was a bit weak. But anyway, that's how it happened. So they knew where Thor's hammer was, and they went there, and the baddies had already found it. Uh, and it's the grey hair. Who's the grey hair geezer? Would he? Oh no, that's on the other show. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm looking at him now. Um, uh, yeah. So the, the baddies find it, and I uses his head into the hammer too, and they're all kind of falling down his cliff, and I uses his like skates things and then they find this uh you're gonna have to fill in the gaps in this one because they find a pony I think you're all right they got they 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 fall down a cliff when they get there they see a little polar bear and they pick it up and it's like oh look how cute it is and they're like um yeah mummy bears over there and they're not too <laughs> not too happy about it. um so they hide in this little giving them a chocolate wasn't it yeah yeah and this little and mummy bear is not happy so she runs over and they hide in this kind of cave and they use this, they make the to- a bomb out of the torch and they throw it in the water and it blows up and scares the bear away. Uh, the ship has a clue to the hammer and Bond and mates get captured. Buddies burn the ship with them inside it and they use the 
rocket pencils to get out of it. And they find Thor's hammer when the baddies already have it. And they say something about the... They change the polarity in something and it destroys the hammer. I think James, apparently, he does something to it and he destroys it. Yeah, like kind of like remotely change the polarity of the um, of the the thing, and then it blows up the hammer, and that's the end of the episode. And then um, what happens is, yeah, he destroys the hammer, and then there's a big avalanche, and it keeps the city hidden, which is ended up being a good thing because then obviously it won't, people won't go and chase after this thing again. Yeah, and that was that. Yeah, um... yeah, I love James Bond Junior. I love the simplicity of it. It's James Bond. He's a guy. He wants to stop the bad guys from doing stuff. He rescues the girl. The format is as simple. That's cartoons can be so simple. Don't we're gonna talk about over egging the egg with Jackie Chan because I thought they way over egged the egg with that. But cartoons need to be simple. Have a simple concept. Have a simple format. Tell the story. Beginning, middle, end. Boom. We all go home. I'm not talking to you because you said that uh, Jackie Chan over-egged the egg. I think he did. And I, f- I think Shanghai Noon is an awful film. But we're going we gonna to get into Jackie Chan right now, okay? Shanghai Nights is, is not a great film. But Shanghai Noon oh, is Oh, that's what movie. I'm talking about, Shanghai Nights. Yeah, I'm that's talking about, I'm talking about Shanghai Nights. Yeah, Shanghai Chung Noon Wayne, is isn't it? The yeah. guy, yeah, that is a horrible film. It's a horrible yeah, it, film. Uh, Shanghai Noon is great. It's funny, but Shanghai Nights is a bit, it's a bridge too far. All right, yeah, we'll get into Jackie Chan Adventures. And this show came out in September 2000. Some of the things happening in the world. Dan Marino's number 13 jersey is retired by the Miami Dolphins. The British MI6 Secret Intelligence Service building is attacked by a Russian-built Mark 22 anti-tank missile. Anti-globalization protests in Prague, Prague, not Prague, Prague, turned violent during the IMF World Bank summits. Remember the Titans was in the cinemas. And Natural by S Club 7 was in the charts. I can't say I've remembered the song, but bloody S Club 7 is making a resurgence. Come well, back. it was in the charts, and I, 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 I gotta, I gotta tell you what's in the charts, man. And this song was in the charts. There it is. It was. I think it ended up being number three in the charts. Not quite number one, but uh, number three. So, uh, a very uh, satisfactory effort from uh, S Club Seven. I think this was the first song that Rachel did that that like, went solo. So she was the lead vocal on this uh, on this song. So. Uh, so it was a good good effort from uh, Rachel Stevens. And uh, please answer your emails. And now we're talking about the Jackie Chan adventures. So this was a Chinese-American animated live-action comedy series starring the adventures of a fictionalized version of Hong Kong film star Jackie Chan. So it's all about him being a professional archaeologist working for the local university. And so fate deals him a very uh, complicated hand. He finds a shield containing a talisman. And so that's how he encounters the dark hand. 
which is a criminal organization led by a man called Valmont, and he serves the demon sorcerer Shendu. And Jackie and his family must cooperate with the secret law enforcement organization Section 13 to counter the threat and must face dangers that will demand all of Jackie's daring and skill in martial arts to overcome. Jackie Chan did not perform the voice of his animated character, but he did appear in live action inserts at the end of the program in which Chan presented notable aspects of Chinese history, culture, and philosophies. And there are some episodes that features references to Jackie Chan's films and his own life throughout the series. So in the episode, A Night at the Opera, Uncle states that he was part of the stage group Seven Little Fortunes, which Jackie Chan was actually part of in real life. Another example is the episode Rabbit Run, where Jackie is bitten by a snake and uses a kung fu style known as the Drunken Master. And this was from one of his earliest headlining films of the same name. According to Jackie, there was um so like at the end of every episode there will be a, a thing where Jackie Chan will be answering questions. So and in one of the question segments, the characters of the show are based on certain people in his life. That's what Jackie Chan says. So Uncle is based on his agent and father. Jade is based on an assortment of his nieces, and Toru is based on one of his stunt team members as well as himself. The episodes. And he does his own stunts is a reference to the fact that Jackie Chan does all of his stunts. And some ti- some episode titles are based on actual film names. So you had Half a Mask of Kung Fu is based on Half a Loaf of Kung Fu. Enter the Viper is Enter the Cat. Re-Enter the J-Team is Re-Enter the Dragon. And Shanghai Moon was based on Shanghai Noon. Armor of the Gods is based on Armor of God. Project A for Astral is based on Project A. And Rumble in the Big House is based on Rumble in the Bronx. You don't know that Jackie Chan film? No. I I thought you know Rumble in the Bronx. That's like his biggest film. Other than Rush Hour. You've never heard of Rumble in the Bronx? I think I've probably seen it, but Dude, I don't know the name of it. You have to have seen Rumble in the Bronx. Even I've seen Rumble in the Bronx, and I'm like, I'm like an okay-ish Jackie Chan fan. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Common Sense Media gave the show four out of five stars, saying like describing it as being light-hearted, entertaining, suspenseful, and humorous. The show may not be deep, but it's a lot of fun. And obviously the series involves magic and the supernatural, like spells, so like demons, chi, and stone talismans. So the talismans, I've actually written down all of the talismans and what they do. So they represent the 12 animals of the Chinese zodiac. So you got the rat talisman, which is the power and ability of animation, giving motion to the motionless, and it gives inanimate objects life. The ox talisman is the power and ability of super strength. There's tiger, which is the power and ability of balance. Rabbit is the power and ability of super speed. The dragon talisman is a power and ability of combustion. 
The snake talisman is the power and ability of invisibility. The horse talisman has the power and ability of healing or renewal. The noble horse of a knight can expel all alien forces within. The sheep talisman it has the power and ability of astral projection or the ability to remove the soul from the body. The monkey talisman has the power and ability of shape-shifting. Shape -shifting, and it grants the wielder the ability to metamorphose, metamorphosize anything they wish into any animal. The rooster talisman has the power and ability of levitation. And it allows the user to levitate themselves and other objects effectively, giving them telekinesis. The dog talisman is the power and ability of immortality. So the dog talisman is best friend to man. It restores youthful energy to its holder and grants eternal life. And finally, the pig talisman has the power and ability of heat vision and heat beam eyes, and it allows the users to expel extremely powerful beams of pure heat energy from their eyes. So the chi magic, so there was like a whole kind of series about the chi magic. So several characters within the show can use this form of magic using chi energy. Chi magic involves the use of potions, magic objects, and incantations. And you can accomplish many different effects, ranging from banishing demons to turning living creatures to stone. And some of the chi magic includes Yumogi Guai Fai Da Zao, which is the main good incantation of the series. And the spell is used most often by Uncle. It's used for multiple purposes, including banishing the evil power of the Shadow Khan from Jade's body returning the demon sorcerers to the netherworld and turning Shendu to stone and extracting the demon chi of the demon sorcerers. And it is translated literally from Cantonese. And it yeah literally means ghosts and goblins quickly leave. By the way, if I've pronounced it wrong or ain't pronounced it properly, I apologize. You've got Lai Shu Zai. And this incantation is used by Bai Zar during her attempt to flood San Francisco. And it means occur flood or come flood. And you've got Kwai Kwai Ki Lai, which is the incan incantation used by Shendu to open the portal to the Book of Ages. And in Mandarin, it literally means quickly, quickly stand up. Nukeru Hi Men Jai Aku which is the Japanese incantation used for the removal of the Oni masks. And it's also used to imprison Tarakudo in his Oni mask. And it can be translated as come out evil spell. There's Kuiki Bushi Ni, which is the main incantation used by the evil Chi wizard Iso. And he uses it to do a variety of things. Mithana Chi, Chi Mithana Chi which is a spell Toro uses to absorb all eight demon chi from Drago. Yagamimo Yagamichiwa, which is a spell Drago uses to absorb the demon chi from the ice crew. And before I pass on to you, the characters on this show, so you've got Jackie Chan, who is a talented archaeologist and a skilled martial artist who lives in San Francisco with his uncle. 
and his quiet life of exploring booby-trapped castles and dusty bombs is disturbed when an old friend, Captain Black, recruits him to stop the Dark Hand. His 12-year-old niece, Jade Chan, and she is Americanized quickly. She's adventurous, and she frequently disobeys her uncle's advice to remain in safety. She tends to accompany Jackie as he goes on adventures and gets herself into trouble. You've got Uncle Chan. He is the uncle of Jackie and the great uncle of Jade. He's a very he has a very stereotypical Cantonese accented drawl. Usually talks in the third person about himself, and he uses Cantonese in many aspects of his speech. There's Toru, who is a very large Japanese man. He was once an enforcer for the Dark Hand and personal servant for Valmont, but he decides to have second thoughts about working for the Dark Hand, and he ends up joining the Section 13 and works for Uncle as his mentor. Ratso, who is a nerdy strongman who somewhat acts childish and dim-witted and has fondness for toys. Chow, who is the shortest and youngest member of that group, and he has trademark yellow sunglasses. Finn, who is an Irish-American comedian and the brains of the Dark Hand Enforcers. He's a 1970s fanatic, and he used to sing disco at weddings before joining the Dark Hand. Hak Fu, aka the Black Tiger, who's a very skillful and brawny fighter and a dangerous opponent to all who face him. Obviously, Valmont, who's the leader of the Dark Hand, who hails from the United Kingdom. Captain Black, who is the head of Section 13. And obviously, Shendu is the main dark guy. And I think the talismans originally came from him. So, you're the big Jackie Chan fan. Take it away. This is one of the shows I do remember watching as a, as a kid, like after school and whatever. I think I was probably older. Must have been, I guess, but um, definitely remember watching it. Uh, and I think probably just because it said Jackie Chan in the title, I probably enjoyed it. Um, this one I thought was like was was really good. Like out of the three today, was like really like the storyline was great. There's like fun bits um, happening in the middle. It was quite funny um, at times. Ah, um, so I think this week is going to be similar to how we did last week. So our number threes are going to be the same. Are, are going to be different. Our number twos are going to be the same, and number one is going to be different. Fairly obvious who you're going to pick, as it's fairly obvious for me. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, th- I found it funny. I like the inserts of Jackie Chan doing the live action stuff. I thought that was quite cool. Obviously, this whole thing again, as with all of these shows, the name. The, the, the Jackie Chan, Karate Kid, and James Bond was just there to sell the cartoon. Really, it had nothing to do with Jackie Chan. It had nothing to do with the Karate Kid. They kind of did with Jackie Chan, like I was talking about. So they used stuff from his life. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, that, like, it's not like he was involved in the making of this program. He was one of the producers, whatever. He didn't play. He didn't play himself. It didn't need to be Jackie Chan. Do you see what I mean? It didn't need to be him, really. Um, and the same with James Bond. But how can you sell it then? No, exactly. But what I'm saying is that's why uh, that's why I think that the, the name was put there more than anything else. Um, I'm I'm just guessing, but that's how that's the impression I've got. But anyway, other than that, 
cartoon itself I thought was really, really good. Like um it was self aware, which is something I really liked about it as well. Um and it and it was um and it and, and genuinely like it was like kind of the self aware moments were like actually this is what's happening now is weird and people would ask questions about it and then they kind of reference that and I like that a lot. Again, the voice actors was spot on. The guy who did Jackie Chan's voice, he was of Hong Kong descent. The guy who did Uncle's voice was from that region. Jade, the same. Toru, the same. All the characters, they were all from that part of the world. That is what I like. That is what I'm talking about. Don't be lazy. Just get some any old guy and do the voices and try and do it to the best of your ability and try and say, oh, well, we haven't got money. We can't afford it. Shut up. You you can definitely make it happen. This episode is the living proof that you can make it happen. It doesn't matter if your show came out in 89, came out in 2000, came out tomorrow, yesterday, whenever. Don't be lazy. If you're going to cast a Japanese person... Get a Japanese person to do the voice. If you're going to get a Chinese person, get a Chinese person to do it. If you're going to get a, a Russian person, get a Russian person to do the voice. If you're going to get a German, get a German. If you're going to get someone from Africa or get someone from Kenya or Gambia, get someone from that country. It's not that difficult. And this week is the living proof of that. The one thing you can do is use anyone to play an English person's voice. So I think that's acceptable. Right? Yes, I'm not mad at bad english accents i um, quite liked it to be to be honest with you mate i really really enjoyed it i thought it was jolly good fun i mean look i thought the cartoon was good i watched it growing up very much jackie jackie chan was a selling point for me oh jackie chan adventures it's got jackie chan in the in the title yeah, I'm in. And you can see Jackie Chan in the in the titles yeah. as well. I oh, thought, Jackie yeah, Chan. great, good stuff. I thought they overegged the egg. It was too long. They were trying to elongate a story. I mean, I know you don't like me saying that, but did you watch it in terms of like the episodes? Did you willingly go and watch season two? No. So there you go. On. But one thing I will say, I did like how it was a continued story. You know what? Make it continued. Do your thing. But don't expect me to sit through 30-odd episodes of season two. Why does it need to be that long? We get it. I mean, to be honest with you, once they got all the talismans for season one, you don't need to do anything else. No, all of this stuff like, is unnecessary. It's kind of like the um the only other one I'd say that was only other cartoon I can think of right now that's good of like sequential stuff was um, Pokemon. Yeah. One of the, that's got to be one. I think I, with Pokemon it... is that they will have you invested like no one's business. You'll be into it like crazy. But yeah, with this Man, yeah, no, it's too too long, too much. Yeah, see, I I didn't watch that many episodes of it, but I can just see that the episodes that I do watch, the three that I did watch, that I was in, like, I liked it, I liked the show, and I thought it was just as it's as it stood was like was great. I I yeah I yeah yeah one. yeah yeah. Like, I I to be fair, I enjoyed all three. 
Really, I did. I I genuinely yeah, enjoyed actually, all three cartoons. Yeah, I did too. To be honest. Right. Let's uh, talk about episodes. So basically, season one. I'll just do a quick summary of all the seasons because I managed to make notes on them. So yeah, so season one is basically getting the talismans. Obviously, starts with Jackie Chan. He finds a, a rooster talisman that is embedded on a shield in a Bavarian castle. And so they're like, right, we need to get the rest of these talismans and we need to find them all. Obviously, he's, his uh, niece moves in, Jade, and she's just flown in from Hong Kong. And they have to try and stop her from getting into trouble. And they basically have to catch the talismans. So let's let's get into it. So basically, you get the um, his niece comes to stay, and she basically does opposite of what um, she's told. Basically, she she excites she wants to come, and they go. They've, so they've got the sh- they've got the shield from the, the castle, and they and basically the baddies want it, and then they get um, the goodies come and say, "Come and join our team, right?" Yeah, and so Jade, she's the one that manages to nick the talisman from the shield. And obviously, she learns the lesson of courage without wisdom is foolish. Yeah, I wrote that. I did write that. And yeah, and so I think Uncle is like, um, yeah, this is all well and good that you've got this talisman. We've got 11 more to find because obviously it's um, from the Chinese Zodiac. And yeah, y'all got to find the rest. I watched the last episode of series one called Day of the Dragon. So fast forward and Shendu manages to have all of all 12 talismans and he shapeshifts into a 50 foot humanoid dragon. And I love how all of them were like, all the baddies were like, whoa, Shendu, like he's the man. Look at the size of him. Like he's like some big hench guy now. And yeah, we kind of learned that Toru decides to go and work for section 13 because jackie chan told him that they give donuts every wednesdays and that's why toru kind of joined along and so he's like look i'm gonna tell you guys everything and yeah so shendu's aim is to conquer the entire continent of asia and he conjures up these monster minions to help him free his brethren and so I think they have to go to Hong Kong to try and save Jade's family. Jade is like, look, save my family, save my mom and dad. And so Jackie's like, look, you need to stay here. It's too dangerous. But obviously Jade somehow ends up going on the plane with the moor. And he basically uncle's big thing is magic must defeat magic so you got all the section 13 blokes with their guns and he's like magic must save magic and so he clips um captain black in the ear and he's like yeah who's next what part of magic must defeat magic don't you understand so he makes jackie chan these cool green arms and so he's using it to try and take off all of the talismans from shendu jade Come, somehow appears in the fold because she follows some of the other bad guys because they're all just there to steal all the riches from Hong Kong. They don't really care. They're like, oh, you know, Shen Du, whatever. He could do whatever he wants. We're here to take as much gold as we can. 
And so Jackie manages to retrieve all of the talisman from Shendu's skin. And what happens is I think there's like a massive explosion. Shendu becomes like this massive spirit and he just goes off somewhere. There's a big old explosion. All the talismans get taken away. And yeah, so some of the other guys, they fall onto the talismans. They're like, oh, we may not have got gold, but we got some talismans over here. And it kind of ends like that. And so, yeah, so season one was titled The Twelve Talismans. Season two was The Demon Portals. So Toru is now Uncle's Apprentice. Shendu has been destroyed and his spirit is banished into a dimensional prison where he's staying with his seven demonic siblings and they're not happy with his failure to rescue. So he convinces the demons to allow him out so he can possess someone's body. And so he ends up possessing, I think, Valmont to release the demon sorcerers from their confinement. And obviously we are introduced to the Dark Chi Wizard of Daolong Wong. So, Season 2, what episode did you watch? Um, season 2, Episode 4, I watched. So, this episode actually was, like, really fun. Basically, the baddies are looking for a portal, um, and it turns out it's in a prison. So, they do the unthinkable, and they go and rob a bank, and they get caught on purpose so that they go to the jail. So Captain Black says, he's on the phone and he says, <laughs> I believe, uh, he goes, sir, I believe they went um, they went to prison to find a demon portal. And it goes silent for a little while. And he goes, no, sir, I haven't received psychological counselling. <laughs> so like, um, it was just like one of those like self-aware moments. It was like really funny. It's like, what are you talking about? These um, things. So Jackie goes to prison to, to, uh, to infiltrate this gang. And he gets like a face transplant sort of like silicon thing over his head and he's called chance jackson <clears throat> and he's basically his job is to get in with the uh the baddies um they're in he's talking to the baddies and there's like a cake delivery and obviously like, you know cake prison like things and and it's like the 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 baddies have infiltrated the um delivery company so it's the baddies that are delivering stuff to the baddies that are inside the prison kind of thing um and it turns out that the cake that wasn't was it uh, was nothing um it was a um uh just a cake for the governor and everyone was mad because the governor's going to be mad he doesn't get a birthday cake um and there's something in there for the portal and then Jackie accidentally opens the um the portal for the demon to come um and then it shapeshifts into a man i can't remember what the demon's name was um but he um they use the password to get out of prison and it was um oh, what was the password chinchilla he said uh, chinchilla was a password and he he calls and says oh, chinchilla chinchilla i want to get out sort of thing um but no one hears him because his boss is having a psych psychiatric evaluation <laughs> so he can't get him out um uh so the baddies escape in a tunnel uh and jackie and the girl are chasing them uh the demon attacks both of them and they get saved by their uncle who uses a cheese smell which is the weirdest thing i didn't understand what it was but they put cheese smell on a pan and it could bash down the, the demon and it banished the demon back into the um the portal um and 
it banishes the demon and Jackie goes back to prison um, because he's can't get out because the password's not working because his boss is being evaluated. Um, and then at the end, it did this live action thing of what animal do you want to be? Uh, what what animal do you want to be? Sort of Jackie Chan. And he said he wanted to be an eagle because he can go anywhere and he's free. Free as an eagle. Um, I think that was the last episode I watched. Okay, so you spoke about season two. Um, right, so I didn't watch season three, but season three was all about the talisman-powered animals. So Daolong Wong and the Dark Hand, they simultaneously attacked section 13 in search of the talismans. And in an attempt to stop them, Jackie accidentally destroys the talismans, but this scattered their power around the world, this time to reside in host animals. Now Jackie must find the most noble animal of each zodiac symbol before the Daolong Wong takes possession of the scattered powers. And in season four, the Oni Masks. So this is the Oni Mask saga. And in an attempt to free himself from prison, because I think Daolong Wong gets captured, he attempts to resummon the Shadow Khan, only to awaken Tarakudo, the Lord of all Oni and King of the Shadow Khan. And Jackie and Co. must now locate the nine Oni masks which contain the souls of Tarakudo's generals and therefore allow the wearer to summon a different tribe of Shadow Khan. I watched uh, the finale of season four, which was Ninja Twilight. So this episode was felt like a lot was going on. And so, yeah, the one I noticed was that they now have the talismans. So they managed to obviously retrieve the talismans. They have it with them in hand so that they can use it whenever they can. So the demons unleash the Shadow Khan armies and they start to cover the world in darkness. And basically Toru is studying the legend of the Oni and he discovers the warning indicating never to bring the masks together. And Viper and El Toro, who were characters from previous episodes, they return to help the J-Team and Section 13. And they're all trying to figure out how to stop this. And they're searching for an escape route. And they discover on the Hannah Fuda cards the location of the 10th Oni mask. And... Using the Shadow Khan symbol tattoo, the team send Toru into the Shadow Realm to recover the mask. And despite Toru's success, he ends up being corrupted by the evil. And Uncle casts a chi spell that inadvertently restores Tarakudo to humanoid form. And he manages to, Jade manages to attach the mask on Tarakudo's face. And Toru is returned to normal and the Shadow Khan and Oni are pulled into the mask and they end up freeing the world of darkness. Season 5 is the Demon Powers. So Drago escapes from Section 13 and he ends up double-crossing Shendu. And it's basically another race around the world and Jackie has to locate seven cursed objects of the Immortals that has imprisoned Shendu and his siblings and the demon sorcerers which are all imbued with their demonic powers before Drago 
And the dragon talisman is shown in the background of each episode. I think the dragon talisman is very important. And if you remember, the dragon talisman is the power and ability of combustion. And I ended up watching the last two episodes. So the finale, so the powers that be, which was divided into two parts. So what happens is Drago kidnaps Captain Black, Uncle and Jackie. And he is willing to return them in exchange for the containment unit with all of the demon chi. And we discover that Shen Du is the father of Drago. Oh! No. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. Bam! And yeah, so Drago is basically trying to take over the earth and Uncle's going to Shendu going, okay, how do we stop your son? And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. You guys can wallow in your self-pityness and I'm going to watch it all unfold and it's going to be beautiful for me. And so Drago has these like little minions and the way they talk, like white people ruined every slang possible, man. <laughs> <laughs> like the way he's like, oh, we're in the his house. We're doing this. Like literally, we 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 couldn't say cray anymore. We can't say cray anymore. We can't dab. I think I only dabbed for like a week. That's it. Before white people took over the dab. Like everything. And it's like the way they're talking. I know it's just white guys. Like, yo, this is crazy. We up in this house. We about to blow stuff up. Yo, what? I'm watching that. I'm like, this is really, really off-putting. And they and, and those three sort of minions, they basically like to drag on, yeah, we're not going to do what you tell us to do. Like, screw you. And so initially they end up taking all the powers, but they end up getting stopped by um, Uncle and, 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 and Jackie and, and whatnot. And yeah, part two is basically Drago has all of the demon chi powers and he begins to summon the demon brethren. And he's like, you know what? You need to blow up section 13 right now. And basically Toru is stuck inside section 13 and we all thinking, oh no, maybe he didn't quite make it out. And... Uh, we kind of learn that Shendu is the only person who can really defeat Drago. And so they're like, you know what? We need to just have them to battle it out and scrap. And we're just going to have to put them back into the upside down or the never and the never, never land world, whatever they call it. Not the upside down. That's a completely different TV show. So, uh, yeah. And so it ends with Toru managing to emerge from the rubble. He graduates and he becomes a wizard. And they manage to lock Shendu and Drago into the underworld. And they're both still fighting. And Shendu's like, you could have saved me. And Drago's like, you didn't want this world for yourself. And they're both squabbling. And Jade, they offer her a job to be a secret agent in Section 13. And yeah, it all ends all happily ever after. As any good cartoon would be. Yeah, that was that was that. Any last thoughts? 
No, I mean, to be honest, like they're all cartoons that I will probably never watch again. But but I enjoyed them whilst it was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. So uh, we're going to rank these shows now from three to one. So uh, take it away, Paul. At number three, I have uh, James Bond Jr. Of course you did. But I only put it at number three whilst we were talking about it. It was number two, but it got demoted in favour of The Karate Kid. Um, which means at number one, obviously, no surprise to anyone, was Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan's adventure. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your top three. So my top three, so number three was Jackie Chan Adventures. I think in the end, initially Karate Kid was my number three. My number two was Karate Kid. I thought it it grew on me as episodes went on. And I really, really, in the end, I really enjoyed watching it. And of course, my number one, the five-year-old child in me voted for James Bond Jr. And I can never betray that inner child. James Bond Jr. had to come out on top. It had to be the one. So there you go. That's my number one and uh, no regrets. And uh, yeah, and on that note, we'll bring it to an end. Like I said, thank you so much for listening. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say on that front. Just keep on listening. It's available wherever you get your podcast from. Probably not available on YouTube because YouTube doesn't like it when I play all the music. And I can imagine YouTube going really angry and bugging out with last week's episode. So, yeah, just look for it wherever you get your podcast from. You will, you'll, you'll find it there, no problem. On the socials, you can find Yesterday's Capers on Instagram at Yesterday's Capers 1. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Yesterday's Capers. We're on Twitter at Yesterday Capers. Give me a follow. Give, 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 give a holler. I'm sure someone who runs that account will tweet back at you. I'm sure they will. Um, you can follow me on the socials at Instagram. It's Abdullah Molim underscore Molim. You can follow me on Twitter at Abdullah Molim, all one word. Again, give me a message, give me a holler, give me a shout. And yeah, join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. 